I think being salary, I've had, I've had to explain this to some people, um, some of my therapy clients are going to be like, you don't really care. You're just doing this because you get a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had to be very like, blunt and say, like, you know, if I answer the phone or I don't, I get paid the same. <laughs> And having to tell them, I'm answering the phone, I'm calling you, I'm calling you multiple times a week because I want to see this work out for you. Like, I'm pushing for a reason. I'm assigning homework for a reason. Mm. Everything we're doing is going to be purposeful. Sophia Emil here, and welcome back to a new Hello Overdue episode of the Love Made Visible podcast. Abject apologies, by the way, for that hiatus. I hadn't planned on taking that long of a break with the show, but you know, when life kind of body slams the shit out of you, you just gotta lay on the floor for a few months. But we're back on our feet now, and I just want to thank y'all for showing up to this episode and supporting the podcast despite that five-month hiatus, so thank you. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Ruby Guanlao Morgan. I'd met Ruby only once before the interview at the Women of the World Poetry Slam in Dallas back in 2020, literally just a few weeks before the pandemic shut everything down. She's an amazing writer and spoken word poet, but she is also a therapist, so I 1000% leaned into that, and she was kind enough to talk to me about how she balances those two areas of her life, her creativity and her profession in social work. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here with Ruby Guanlao. Guanlao. Guanlao Morgan. Guanlao is actually my middle name. So, but I use it because you know, of course, all your clients always want to find your social, and they always want to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me not. Oh, wait. So, do you actually have clients who try to like Instagram? Oh, all the time. Like I get like immediately after our first one or two sessions, like they're always going to look for my stuff. I get the friend request, I block them immediately, and I have to explain why later. Because I just let them know. I was like, we're going to have a dual role if, you know, you're seeing my personal life. Like, that's something I just don't share with people that I work with. You don't want to know that much about your therapist. Okay, yeah. Let's start with where were you born and where did you grow up? Um, so I was born in Panama City, Panama, um, because my parents were both Navy, so they met, they were on a military base, so I was born there, um, but I grew up in Parallel, Texas, so nice. there for the most part. That's so cool. So how old, how old were you when you moved? Um, a little younger than five, so I don't remember much about Panama besides like just regular trips like here and there to tourists. I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I know Texas more than anything else. That's oh, always been my home. <laughs> yeah. So when was the last time you like went back to visit? Um. So I was there maybe a couple years ago. Um, I've been trying to like push myself to do more of like the Central America 
um, areas for traveling, um, it's always been a little nerve-wracking just because of how it's portrayed in the media. Like, you immediately believe you're going to get off the plane, get kidnapped, filled with cocaine, and then, like, sold. <laughs> just, yeah. But it's not at all the case. <laughs> but you have to kind of challenge yourself to go beyond what you're told and, like, explore that. So yeah. that's been the last couple years for me. Oh, <laughs> Have you ever found yourself, like, having to explain that to other people, like, here in the States? That, like, that, like yeah, the like, world isn't what we think it is? Yeah. <laughs> it's Absolutely. not completely true. Because yeah. I, I end up explaining both, though. Like, on some places, like I said, like, Guatemala, Panama, like, places people expect there to be a lot of, like, gang, crime, criminal activity. I'm like, no, they've been really nice and hospitable. Like, I wasn't treated any different. Versus going to some of, like, the Eastern Hemisphere, like, some of, like, the really clean cities and countries like Japan, Korea. It's like, okay, they're going to be a little bit more homogenous. Like, Mm. you expect them to be somewhat welcoming, but they're actually very communal. They care more about their people, and they're going to show you that you're not part of their people. (laughs) So kind of seeing both of those people. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, What do you do for work? I am a therapist. Um, (laughs) I work at an outpatient mental health clinic. Um, It's a nonprofit. So we work mostly with um, uninsured populations, low income, um, sometimes people who are mandated to mental health services, either from like CPS, probation, parole, um, parenting classes, that kind of thing. It ends up being part of their stipulations in order for them to achieve other goals. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to attend so many therapy sessions or they have to get on psychiatric medication routines. Um, So I'm one of the therapists on that team that help Mm -hmm. with that. That's so cool. How long have you been doing that for? Um, So I started there right out of grad school. It was one of my internships for my field placement to get my hours to graduate um, with my master's. And then I just stayed. So I've been there about like six years now. Nice. (laughs) So it's been nice. Yeah. Uh, So were you always interested in psychology then? Or like how did you choose that um, career path? I think a lot of people find psychology really interesting, um, so I didn't feel like I was very special in that sense, but I did find that it came easily to me. Um, the idea of like talking to people like strangers, making them feel comfortable, um, being comfortable talking to people about like traumatic situations, it doesn't necessarily give me the heebie-jeebies that it gives everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I found myself going into it because it just came naturally. Ooh. It was... Um, easier to me than I think initially I I was like going towards optometry and I had to work really hard to get through all the sciences yeah but all the social sciences all the behavioral interventions those theories just came easily for me so just that's mm -hmm. cool so like kind of just out of curiosity like when you have clients that are because you mentioned some of them are mandated so some of them are like through probation and stuff like that when you have clients that are I guess I don't I don't know if it's a proper way to say like in and out of that you know that setting and stuff what do you find is like the biggest challenge for them that kind of keeps them in that cycle Um, it's usually the system not actually working for them Um, we have a lot of legal systems and social systems set up that aren't actually helping our populations like they stick them in this like loop of jumping through hoops, getting all these documents done, all these paperwork done, and it 
doesn't always come easily for them. You know, um, I have parents who will complete all the steps to get um, custody of their children back. And then, you know, the court date will reset and then reset. So now it's like two years and they've had everything done and they still don't have custody of their kid because the courts aren't ready to see them. And then the CPS worker will change and they'll have to like re-explain things all over again. And it's like the system doesn't help them and they get really frustrated with it. So the challenge I face is being maybe the third social worker assigned to them or being there when they're three years deep into the process and now they don't want to work with you. They don't want to answer the phone call. They don't want to answer the door. And you have to find ways to build their trust again, build their hope and motivation to keep doing this. Oh, yeah. That's so unfortunate. It really is. And it's it's just like a never-ending cycle because these positions, like you said, home health, people get burnt out. They leave. They find other jobs. And sometimes we forget that us leaving also just makes it harder for the patients who have to get reassigned to someone else and yeah. have to re-explain I like it this way I don't like this yeah it happens yeah. so it, that's so unfortunate because I feel like a lot of people aren't aware of that a lot of people they're so quick to put the blame on the person and everything they don't realize that I didn't even know that I didn't know that could take like two three whole years just to get like custody of your kid back and stuff that's terrible because it, like, sometimes it doesn't even recognize with the state because, like, you know, whatever situation got CPS involved in, in the beginning, um, they will put the child with, like, a sibling or they'll put the child with, like, an aunt or something. So the, they imagine that, okay, well, mom still has access to the kid. Dad still has access to the kid. It's fine. This isn't a big deal. But they don't always know, like, the ins and outs of the family dynamics. Yeah. They could be having a fight and then, like, suddenly aunt's like oh it's thanksgiving well i i'm going out of town and you can't see your kid for thanksgiving and like that just causes this whole other behavioral concern yeah it just ends up being really frustrating for everyone that's that's amazing work though like the world needs social workers the world needs people who like who build that kind of like to give them like hope and everything and like it's someone to trust at least it's someone that will advocate for them in this like super messy system you know i absolutely agree i think it's um not given a lot of credit that it's due (laughs) both just like in general from people and like financially of course Mm -hmm. so we just balance it out do what do what you can yeah (laughs) so like what is a i i know i don't know if there's a typical quote-unquote typical day but what does a typical day look like for you at work um for me specifically um because I just do individual therapy. I'm assigned a caseload at the beginning of the month and it's for the most part pretty consistent. I maybe get like 10 additional clients every month at most, but I spend the good morning kind of confirming my appointments. I try to see about like five or six people a day for 45 minute sessions. And that's just like a state mandate is like Medicare, Medicaid, they only will reimburse you 45 minutes of therapy. I think it's like every week so any more than that you know we're the clinic's not getting reimbursed anything less than that sometimes they're actually charging the patient to be like okay well that wasn't a full therapy session i don't know what you guys were doing but this is not what we're going to cover it's very weird what the heck okay yeah yeah (laughs) billing is its own thing with the stage um 
So I spend a lot of my morning confirming and setting up appointments, seeing people who might have like set, you know, crazy texts over the night time. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I really need to like plan this. And then throughout the day, up until like maybe five, five thirty, I'm just in sessions. Um, for the most part, most of my sessions are going to be telehealth. I can do some audio calls. I think COVID changed that, where we're yeah. allowed to just be on the phone. Yeah. But I find that the video calls are actually a lot more effective. Okay. Like, being able to see each other helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to ask that, like, what were some of the, um, I guess, big changes that you saw when, like, the pandemic happened? As far as, like, interacting with your clients and everything. Um, so, yeah, of course, that shift to telehealth was going to be the biggest one. Um, prior to that, I think the first four years or so, um, I was doing in-house therapy. So I would drive to their house or park, office, school, because I had some 18-year-olds who were, like, just finishing high school. And we would do therapy there. And that was a little bit difficult for them just because of who might be around. Like, so if it's at their house, it's, like, their family members. If it's at work, it's, like, coworkers being, like, who's driving to the job on your lunch break? Yeah. Or for students, it's, like, my friends are wondering why I'm in therapy at 18, you know? Mm Yeah. But now it's weird because now that you're doing telehealth, and people have more access to therapy sessions from anywhere, they really will be doing it from anywhere. I'm like, oh, they're in the grocery store. They're like, they're in their <laughs> really? car. Yeah, it's like they're just driving, and they're like, it's okay. I'll just put the phone down here. I was like, no, no, no. no. I'll <laughs> get to your destination. <laughs> yes. But it's trying to get people to sit down and, yeah. and do it now. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's interesting. So, um... I know this because I've been following you for a long time now, but for people who don't, you also write. You're a poet. How did you become interested in in writing and spoken word and stuff? So writing was something I've always really loved doing because I always loved reading. And um, I think when you love both, like reading and writing, sometimes like you read a story and you're like, I would have written that differently. I, I would have like changed this story up. <laughs> I was a the only bit. one who <laughs> Because it it challenges you creatively. You create your own stories. You create your own visions of how, like, the ideal situation would have been. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started off writing stories and short stories. Um, Slam poetry and spoken word came a little bit later. I met a a few people through, actually, my job. Um, I'm not sure if you are familiar with uh, R.J. Wright. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) He actually works at the same outpatient clinic that I do. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, cool. <laughs> so we ran into each other. Shout um, out to RJ. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, he introduced me to one. And, like, I started coming out to that. And I found that everything kind of just, like, combined. Like, my way of speaking with people, understanding what people want to hear or how they want to hear it. Yeah. Like, writing stories and, like, mm-hmm. listening to people all kind of worked out really well for poetry and yeah. spoken word. So That's so cool. It happened that way. <laughs> I was just talking to, um, I think it was my sister or my brother-in-law or something recently about how a lot of people will look at not just writing, but art and stuff as a sort of therapy. And I, I used to, I used to say the same thing, like art is therapy, but I I wanted to know if you also think that or, or no, because, because now it's like, I I feel like nothing can take the place of like actual therapy. You know what I mean? And (laughs) while art can be healing, um, there are some things that I think 
you need like that professional guidance for so I just wanted to see if you how you felt about that um I definitely think that art is an outlet um it's an outlet for our excessive energy our excessive emotions a way for us to work out our emotions I think the difference with therapy is having that response back from someone who is, you know, third party, who is guided by, like, some type of logic to help bounce your um, emotions off of. You know, when you are doing art, you don't always get someone to help you explain what you're feeling. Um, similarly, when people are like, oh, yeah, talk therapy, I just sit there for two hours and I just vent out everything that's been going on for the week and then I leave. I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's therapy. It just, yeah. You could just use a journal. <laughs> yeah. It's having someone kind of be that devil's advocate and be like, well, what if you thought about it this way? Or how does that actually reflect to something that you brought up last week where you were feeling this way? Are they connected? What can you change about this? Because you've been feeling this for the last three or four weeks now, and it's starting to become an issue for this part of your life. It's having that back and forth that yeah. is really, in my opinion, therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So um, I know for for some people, like they're they're hesitant about therapy because they don't want to like tap into, or not that they don't want to, but they're not ready to like tap into that um, kind of part of them that you know needs resolving and stuff. What's usually like your approach to to people who are you know kind of closed off still? Um, I think there's always going to be something that you're hesitant to talk about with other people. We have our deep, dark secrets, things that we're not ready to um, explain to others. Um, I let people know from the beginning that, you know, when we're doing therapy, we're not necessarily just saying, like, lay out your trauma (laughs) for everyone. We're really saying, what do you want to work on? What is causing problems for you in your life that you're ready to change? And let's focus on that. Let's fix that first. Let's work on that first. And then as you notice other things getting in the way, let's work on those. Like, you build up that comfort level to address things that are stopping you from living your ideal life. Yeah. yeah. So. satisfying thing and most frustrating thing about your your work so I think the most satisfying part is you know like I said you'll have the same conversations with people all the time Um, and I think it works the same way with like our friends too like if you've ever had a girlfriend or a guy friend and you're like your relationship it's it sucks dude like I've been telling you this for years and then there's gonna be that one day where something will happen and they're like you know what I'm done with it. I recognize that this is a problem. I'm not doing it anymore. And you're just like, you got there. You got there. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that with therapy. (laughs) Sometimes we'll have the same conversation. I cannot tell you what to do. I cannot give you advice. I can just help guide you in ways that 
I recognize this is going to be best for your life. And it takes a while for people to get there. But when they do, that's so awesome because you see the immediate change in them. They're so much less stressed. The next session, yeah. they're just like, I don't really have anything to talk about. And I'm just like, yes, that's great. That's a good thing. Um, frustrating part is that process, though, right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's hearing them bring up the same issues and like knowing you cannot sound frustrated because they don't want to tell you anymore if yeah. you sound frustrated. Yeah. You're like, you had the same argument with your boss. How did you react? You punched them again? Okay, well, like, what can we do next time? Like, you recognize it and you just have to keep going and um, build up that skill set for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a kid, do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Ooh, yes. Um, I wanted... <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer. Nice! Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> because um, I just always had something to say back to people. Like, I was... <laughs> you know, um, I think there's a weird... I don't know if it's... There's just, like, a dynamic, I think, within, like, the Filipino culture of, like, wanting to be kind and welcoming and non-confrontational, right? And I just didn't get that. <laughs> that did not instill itself in me. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'd be talking back to my mom or talking back to my grandmother, and she'd respond back with, like, if you just want to talk back so much, you might as well just be a lawyer. You might as well, like, what is the point? You're just going to argue with me anyway. And you're like, yeah. I will. I will do that. <laughs> Um, of course that didn't happen <laughs> because I didn't want to be, it's not beloved, it, you know, I didn't yeah. want to be the person that always causes problems. <laughs> I just always have an opinion. And no, I mean, that it shows that you're able to like, at least defend yourself. You know 100%. what I mean? So, yes. Yeah. I'm terrible. I'm the kind of person that like thinks up of like a comeback or a reply, like five hours after, <laughs> after the incident. And I'm like, oh, I would have said this, but if I had thought about <laughs> it, you would have burned. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned a second ago uh, you grew up, like, in a Filipino, like, household, Filipino culture and stuff. Um, obviously, I can only, like, speak from personal experience. Um, I know that for me, like, the option to pursue something that wasn't, like, medical field or, you know, anything like that was... Um, yeah, kind of against, like, what my family, like, expected of me. Is that something that you also experienced? Um, not particularly, um, because, like I said, my parents were both military. Mm. So um, what my mom specifically wanted for me was just stability. Um, so what she didn't like was, you know, throughout college, I was you know waitressing all the time like that I was just like, trying to get the quickest jobs quickest money and she didn't like me switching back and forth she was very much like you stay at a job and you stay there for 10-15 years you get all the promotions <laughs> you work your way up and that is how you have a career yeah um it wasn't even just like based on salary it was just based on like do you know what you're doing with your life mm. so that was more what she wanted for me um my dad stayed in the military for a good amount of like um, my first early year so he wasn't like too big on explaining what I needed to do he just wanted me to get an education and that was him coming from um, the African American perspective of the, the only way we can prove ourselves to be um, more than just middle class is to have an education to prove that we are so I didn't have a lot of 
force to do healthcare. It was just more like you're gonna finish school, you're gonna have a job, you're not going to be like <laughs> switching majors like back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Does your Filipino culture or your African American culture like does that um, have an impact on the way that you create? art, the way you write, the way you perform and stuff? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, I think I have a few poems specifically related to, like, um, my parents, related to, like, trying to prove myself in either culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's also just being of mixed race, too, is, like, trying to always find your place places and justify yourself to people. Um, But I think that's what a lot of people's creative art comes from, is us bringing in our own experiences, our personal life, and that's what makes it unique because we all have our unique experiences to show from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I haven't shown any of my parents <laughs> any of it. No, if they found it on their own, maybe, and they just haven't told oh. me. But I, I haven't gone out of my way to show them. <laughs> if one day they were on YouTube and they just, like, Eddie. happen upon it. <laughs> I mean, it's not all... Some of it's nice. It's some of it's <laughs> nice. I mean, it's a little controversial. It would be kind of bad. I don't know. <laughs> no, they're cool. Like, don't don't downplay yourself. They're they're, they're really good. They're, Thank they're amazing. You. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I do want to get to a point where I can like do some chat books like you have. Like, oh, I've never. Oh, that sounds. You have it there, like tangible evidence that you have it. That yeah. that's a feat. So. <laughs> it's yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, that was fun, too. That was a learning experience also. To make a chat book? Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine. It seems like such a stressful thing, and, like, <laughs> especially even now, like, going through poetry that I've written, like, ten years ago, I'm still, like, editing. So, oh, my like, God, yes. Yeah. Maybe reading a book <laughs> and being like, I kind of wish I changed this. Like, <laughs> how do you do that? It's literally what you said earlier about, like, when you read a story or, like, watch a movie or whatever, and you're like, I would have written that differently. That's, like, me every time I see, like... Not even just my chat book, just anything that I've, like, I thought I was finished with. I was like, yeah, I can definitely change that. But then when you have it in, like, print, I'm like, oh man. Like, stuck, yeah, do I, like, sharpie it out or whatever? You turn so. it into your own erasure program. Hey, I mean, you know. I love it. Yeah, so um, tell me the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the phrase, work is love made visible. I think... I think coming from a social work background, (laughs) like, that ends up being the stereotype of it, of, you know, in order to do social work, you have to be just overly, extraneously caring about all your Mm. patients, and I think that's what gets people into burnout. I hate when I hear people being like, oh, but I love my job. I don't want to get to the point where I'm so detached from my clients that, like, I don't feel it when they tell me hurtful stories. I was like... I think you kind of do need a little bit of that detachment. Yeah. Um, I want people to find um, just purpose from their job sometimes, but not necessarily equate it with who they are, with their love, with, I feel like you need that passion elsewhere in your life because you're not going to work forever. And then those people retire and they don't know what to do with themselves anymore. Yeah. So that's my only caveat (laughs) with that. I definitely feel that, like, that, yeah, that whole, because um, for me it was a question of, like, if I'm getting paid to do it, is it really coming from a place of love, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I know I'm still having a hard time, like, 
properly detaching myself and stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you have any tips, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's sometimes depending on the situation because technically, you know, we're coming from different places. My therapy is going to be different from home health. Um, in my head, I'm coming into a situation that someone has already found themselves in and I'm doing my best to get them out of it or help them find their own way out of it. Um, so I don't necessarily have that same attachment to if I didn't do something, it's my fault. It's different that way. Um, but I can see when you're in like more of a medical field and it is your job to help them get back to a baseline and like you feel like, oh, if I taught you something differently, if I didn't do my job here, I might have hurt you more in Ooh, some ways. Yeah. It's hard. It yeah. is. <laughs> um, but I think being salary, I've had, I've had to explain this to some people. Um, some of my therapy clients are going to be like, you don't really care. You're just doing this because you get a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had to be very like, blunt and say, like, you know, if I answer the phone or I don't, I get paid the same. <laughs> And having to tell them, I'm answering the phone, I'm calling you, I'm calling you multiple times a week because I want to see this work out for you. Like, yeah. I'm pushing for a reason. I'm assigning homework for a reason. Mm. Everything we're doing, it's going to be purposeful. I don't want to just take up 45 minutes just to take up 45 minutes. Yeah. You know? I think part of it, too, is, like I said, I, um, you know, I, I think it, it comes from experience, too, right? Mm-hmm. Just practicing, like, setting boundaries and stuff like that absolutely and that's hard too um like i said like i especially lately i've been trying to travel explore a little bit more and stuff and trying to keep that balance in mind that it's like every week that i'm not here is a week that people have to put off like their ways of venting their ways of coping that they use through therapy and having to prep people for that it's like okay i'm not going to be here this week what are ways that you can use this time for yourself what are things you can do for yourself that maybe you wouldn't have done before yeah. and kind of working that out it's cool too like you kind of you you give purpose even to like those times I think that's cool I think you have to like yeah. I can't imagine like obviously I've never had a kid but like there are people who are taking maternity leave and they're like yeah I won't be able to see my client for the next three months and I'm like yo what like <laughs> and they're like yeah I'm just gonna assign them to someone else and I was like that's such a weird break in the therapeutic relationship yeah. I can't figure out how to make that work I'm just not there yet at that mm-hmm. bridge but that's something I would have to like be supervised on like how do I make that work that transition yeah I am <laughs> well this is Dude, this has been so awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, awesome. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, it was, it was it's going to be really short. I have just one more question. Um, I'm really excited about your moves. They're gonna, like, advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Um, I would say don't focus on the money. Um, I think as we get older, we find ourselves more and more in conversations about salaries, whether that's with family or friends or comparing yourself. And it just seems like money is becoming way too important to people. So, like, I know a lot of people who are making six figures and are working, like, 70 hours a week. They're just completely miserable and stressed out. And then I know people who are, like, making, like, in the 30,000s, living a full life. And I'm, I would love to tell myself that that's not going to be something I have to focus on all the time. Yes. Chasing the career that's going to give me the most money. Chasing the job that's going to give me 
all these things and then having to stress about explaining it to people like what my salary is or what I'm trying to do in the next five years just focus on other things outside of work well yeah and like just side note there really are people who try to like you know pry about things like that. I freaking hate that whenever they're like how much and I'm like tell me a business <laughs> Because they're also trying to figure it out for themselves, like, what makes a life worth living. And then it really depends on what your expenses are. Like, are you making 30000 but living in, like, the inner loop, the Heights luxury apartments? Yeah, your life's going to be kind of hard. Like, versus, like, other people, it's, like, making however much, but they, like, live on a very simple lifestyle. Like, they don't need the news car. They don't buy a TV every Black Friday. <laughs> That was something I had to fight myself to do. I was like, I don't need one. <laughs> Stop telling me I need one. Amazon. And, and like, Cyber Monday does not help at all. Because I'm like, you just made it easier for me to, like, access this. Yes, so. I do not need Amazon Prime. I do not need everything overnight. I can get anything I want by 7 in the morning. Like, I, I don't need that. So, I have the time to, like, look it up. I have time to, like, wait for it and everything. Right. So... It's just the way we have our lives now. Well, thank you so much. This was so cool. I really appreciate it. Of course, and I appreciate it. Sorry about like last week, like when we were supposed to meet on like Thursday. And I oh my god, no! Don't even worry about that. I felt so bad. I was like, you it was like Friday morning, and I was like, I never responded back. No, it's totally fine, girl. You were in Guatemala, so you're fine. But it works out because like I got when I got back from Guatemala, I was like sick. I got like the a cold from I guess a temperature change like it was like 80 something there and then I got here and it was like freezing and raining yeah yeah and I was just sick like I still hear it in my voice a little bit but I was like okay maybe it worked out but still no, I, I appreciate it take care of yourself too thank you oh yeah that was Ruby Glenlow Morgan Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode with Ruby Guanlao Morgan. I'll be linking her Instagram handle in the show notes so you can go say hi to her. And please give the podcast a follow as well, if you hadn't already, at Love Made Visible Pod, which I'll also be linking in the show notes. And stay tuned for a new episode coming soon. Bye! <laughs>